Daryl, I've never met you, but I already know that I like you because we've had a little bit of pre-conversation before I hit that play button. And you mentioned the fact right off the bat that you have a copywriting background. So can you go into that just a little bit? Because I'm a copywriter, you're a copywriter. Let's first describe what copywriting is for those people who don't understand what it is. And then let's let's take it from there. So you're a copywriter. What does that mean, Daryl? Well, I appreciate that. DP, thanks for having me on your show. And yeah, we joked offline that there was something that I read about you in terms of wanting to get to know a little bit about you before I came on your show. And I just chuckled. And I already knew you were a pro, so I'm honored to be here. But it just made me laugh. So in my words, and I would use the word like this, copywriting is the ability to simply use words to move people along a journey to help them solve or get closer to solving the problem that they'd like to solve. It just happens to be that I think of copywriting as the inanimate version of a communication we would have as human beings. Oh, that's a that's a really great way to think of it, because a lot of people think copy is nothing more than I need 150 words to put under this photo on my website. And it's like, no, those are characters. That's what uh, we would call Greeking, even though it's lorem ipsum, which is Latin, which I've never understood, you know, but we're not just talking about filling words. We're talking about creating a communication that tells a story. And I love the fact that you talked about it. It takes people on a journey because that's exactly it. We have a purpose in mind when we write copy. And that's an important distinction, I think, for people who think that writers are pulling stuff out of the ether with no intention or goal in mind. Copywriting is a business. It is a commercial activity. And if you're a whatever goes poet writer, that's great. You can do that. But that's not what a copywriter does. We got to convert people. And part of that conversion can be in the form of buy my product. Sometimes it's pay more attention to me. Right. And you mentioned the fact that you do one of the hardest, I think, one of the hardest forms of copywriting, and that is direct response copywriting. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Direct response copywriting, it really isn't much different than what you just described. The idea is that we are going to produce some words, communication that hopefully connects with the dialogue that our intended reader is having with themselves at that time, such that it would lead them to a next step action. And as you just mentioned, that next step could be to buy something. It could be to click a link and go visit some information. It could be simply hit the like or follow or subscribe button on this podcast if you'd like to hear more from us next week. And so it's really just seeing if you can enter the mind of the customer and meet them where they are. And if the words are the appropriate words at the right time, then they will take the next action. I think where direct response copywriting goes wrong is it's only thought of at the bottom of a sales funnel. And it's meant to trigger a purchase transaction or a purchase energy behavior. And that's unfortunately where it gets mixed up in the bad ecosystem of digital marketing and or other types of marketing. Oh, I could not agree with you more because I, I fully understand, as I mentioned before, copywriting is a commercial activity. It's there to generate some movement, some engagement. I like to say that I write copy that moves people and product. 
Because let's face it, if you're doing both, getting people emotional and converting it to a product sale and stuff like that, then you can have a career like I've had for close to 30 years now. But at the same time, the artist writer in me is not dead. It's not just about that ultimate SEO optimized, blah, blah, click funnels. Here are the five action words to use. I hate recipes. As a writer, I hate recipes. And frankly, all the blog posts I see these days are practically recipes. Here are the 10 most, the, the subject lines that convert the best and stuff like that. That drives me crazy. But that's because not only am I a commercial writer, I'm an artistic soul. I hate to say this, but I know this enough about myself that I come to writing via a love of books and a love of story, not because of a love of sales or a love of Tony Robbins or a love of, you know, whatever click funnels. I'm and no offense to click funnels. No I'm offense, just saying. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, no, no offense. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm in the same camp, right? I, I think of it as the templates and the guides and the best practices are people trying to share their past data. But I, here's what I mean by this. I think the helpfulness of sharing a template or a structure or a framework is helpful the same way it's helpful as a recipe in a kitchen for a cook who's just getting started on their journey, right? right? But the elite chefs in the world, they will have iterated. But the reality is, a delicious chocolate cake, whether you like eggs or not, have to go in the cake, right? And so there are certain things I see with templates and structures that are helpful for a younger, experienced individual. And what I'm hearing you say, and obviously I'm at 30 years of my career and I'm not 100% a copywriter all day like you are, but there's a certain understanding that we've developed in the years of repetitions that allow us to say, I know where I'm going and I have now sort of the, the free reign to know that I've got to take this from here to there because of that experience. You know, world-class chefs, they, they have just another layer and another level that they play at, whereas the, the beginning, you know, culinary school cook has to follow the recipe pretty close. I want to talk about that because, again, I don't know Daryl much at all, but I've been to his website and I've read through it and I've seen it. And it looks like you've got a business that provides a great deal of, I don't want to say you have a cookbook, but you certainly have the frameworks and access to the, the recipes, but you've also got the kind of executive chef coaching that goes along with it, right? Do I, do I understand yeah. your business correctly? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're, you know, one of my businesses, we have a digital marketing agency and the reality of the agency is it serves about three to 5% of the business marketplace, but the vast majority of our traffic, 95% of our inquiries come from businesses that are not ready to hire an agency at our level to come in and sort of be the digital marketing department for the company. And so it, it bothered me many years ago, seven years ago or so, that we would turn away companies that had great intention to grow their business and generate demand online and all of the things, but we didn't have a way to serve them or it would compromise our business model. So we were just like, listen, the vast majority of people are not do-it-yourselfers because they're professionals at what they do. They're experts at their craft. And even if they are the head of marketing for the company, they can't execute all of it anyway because it's such a vast landscape. So the most CMOs that we talk to, heads of marketing, they will just agree 
that the digital landscape that they have to cover, the ground that has to be covered today, is too big for any one person. So a lot of our clients are small to mid-sized, and they have very small marketing departments. And I just like, why don't we just tell them exactly what our framework is if they had hired us, so that at least they don't go down the street and hire the wrong company that has this quote unquote, and you know this DP, there's no secrets to this game. There are, look, you're a finesse guy. You've got 30 years where you can put the art and the science together in DP's way that makes you uniquely qualified in a totally different way than I would be. At, at the end of the day, there are some basic things that need to be understood if you're going to execute properly in the online space, whether it's social media ads, Facebook ads, Google ads. We just don't have a problem sharing it. We just don't. And we realize that, and by the way, shout out to your prior podcast, because I've been teaching top of mind awareness strategies since 2003. And your prior podcast was all about that. So you didn't know I checked that out too. That's, you know, I love, I didn't, I didn't show up here randomly. Like when my executive assistant found your show, I got a chance to go in and say, you know what? I like the way this guy thinks. I can tell that even though we never met, we're cut from similar cloths in terms of how we approach the professional aspect of this business called marketing. And unfortunately, there is a little bit of less professional activity happening out here in the world. And a lot of businesses and companies are unfortunately caught up in some of it, and it ends up in a bad situation for them. So that that's how I see it. Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, again, when I book someone on my podcast, I've done a little bit of research. I don't do a lot. I want to learn about it the same time that our listeners are, li are learning as well. So I don't have a preconceived list of questions or anything like that. But I do enough to ferret out, is this guy legit? Is he not? Is he a snake oil salesman? Is he not? Is he, well, put it this way. I'm going to tell a little secret here. Last week, I had a, a two session day where I was going to be recording two people on the same day, a mistake that I hate to do. So I get done with the first one. It goes great. I had a great time. I'm getting ready for the second one. And I hadn't done enough research. And so I went to the second guest's website and I'm going through it. And, you know, the creative director in me is quibbling a little bit about art and fonts and typography and stuff. But I'm reading through it and then I get to a copy block. Now, for listeners who don't know what a copy block is, all you have to do is go to Wix or Squarespace, pull up one of their templates and they'll show you a block of copy that they suggest, hey, it'd be good to have 75 to 150 words here about your products and services. Guess what? That copy block was lorem ipsum Greeked copy because oh, this person wow. had not done the due diligence to even take the Wix or Squarespace or whoever was hosting their, their website, hadn't even gotten through all the parts of his website. And, you know, I'm okay with someone's having a under construction or... We're working on right. this. It's not done yet. But the second I saw that, my initial response was snake oil. Oh, this guy is snake oil. And that's when I said, you know, I'm going to cancel this record because I hate that. Because you and yeah. I both know that people love to say advertising is terrible. It makes me buy things I don't want, et cetera, et cetera. And for the longest time, I kind of felt that until I had a book to sell that I spent hours on. And <laughs> then I realized, you know, you know what they say about bands that get a, a, a contract with a, a label that they sell out? Well, all of a sudden the band has something to sell. So yeah, they want to sell 
what they have worked so hard on. And yeah. I guess my point is, I'm okay with the fact that you have something to sell, I have something to sell, but it needs to be founded on something real, true, and dare I say, I hate this word, authentic. Yeah, you know <laughs> that word. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, it's, it's just been bastardized over time because no. you've got people in, standing in front of Lamborghinis with fat stacks of cash who are saying, this is the authentic way to build a brand that can yield you a seven-figure income in six weeks. You know, yeah. and you just go, I, oh, God. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the real estate and lending industry. And before this move into the marketing space full-time with the agency, and I say today that it's never been easier for someone to start a business and put on the hat or the, the, the dress or the clothes and start to sell as if they've been a professional in this career for a long time. And it, it takes away from the time, energy and effort that, you know, someone like yourself or maybe I have put into this and they may have taken a course on udemy.com. They may have taken even a real certification that was, you know, maybe a several week program. They may even have just graduated from college with a degree. I hire these folks. But the reality is being able to discuss and talk the vernacular is one thing. Being able to execute and produce a result is another. And to your point of the, the flashy stuff and, you know, unfortunately it's talking to a market that I don't think you play in. I don't play in it, but the reality is there, unfortunately, there are just certain people that it, it attracts. And unfortunately it's the same person that wants to win the lottery, but doesn't play. And <laughs> so I don't get overly fancy with it. I, I don't like it either. I do think, and I just said this in a call about a day or two ago. And I said, at some point, this industry is going to have a shakeout and there's going to be some sort of, there's going to be some clamp down on the, the lack of a barrier of entry to the level of professionalism at this game, at, at the game that we play called the high level of professional. I, I had a call with a business owner and it was just one of unfortunately hundreds over the last decade. And it was him telling me how much money he had spent with the last two agencies but he's in my face, I say in my face virtually, but he's so irritated, he's so frustrated, and his energy was so bad during the meeting that he disqualified himself as a candidate for my agency because it's not prudent for me to allow a customer with that kind of energy to be passed on to my team to work with because unless he can somehow become objective, it isn't that those agencies didn't fail him, it isn't that one of them didn't steal money from him, and they did, I can tell, it's the fact that his energy, he didn't accept any responsibility for making the decision to work with either of them. It's almost as if they came and stole the money out of his, his business. And I'm like, I get it. They shouldn't have done it. I get it. It was wrong. From what I could tell, it was a Google ad situation. And I can already tell a mile a minute when someone talks about it, what sounds like a bad agency and a sort of a crooked agency. But I said, if, I, if we were on the call for, I don't know how long, and I'm just like, if I can't get you to objectively let that go, because if nothing I say is going to change your energy about that situation, I didn't cause it, neither did my team, but I, am, I have to honor our business model. And our business model is to have people that are teachable and coachable and objective to new plans and strategy of action. And so we didn't finish the call with a termination of a, of a scenario, but I just didn't sense that, unfortunately, here's the punchline. We need to fix why he had even experienced those two people and those thousands of dollars he lost. Cause it's real money for small business. That's a lot of money for a company that's sub $1 million, a lot of money. And sometimes they just can't recover. 
and, and it isn't that he's going to go out of business. It's just the fact that we have a layer of unprofessionalism that's pervading the marketplace, whether it's on the back of some of the latest products, but to your point of Lamborghinis and promising the world, you come to my agency, I'm going to tell you the truth. You just showed up, you didn't do anything online, and you expect that you're going to have a whatever 5X ROI in 30 days. We're not the right fit for you. We're in the partnership business. We're in the longevity of growth business. Are you going to be in business two years from now, five years from now? It doesn't mean it's going to take us that long to get results. I've got a plan for short-term results. But if that's the only reason you're hiring us is so that you can sign a month-to-month -month contract, step your toe in because you're afraid of what happened before, then you're not, you don't have the right energy for where we are. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to get... I don't want to get into that tangent, but what do you what do you what are your thoughts on that? Well, number one, I want to point out this is why I don't ask a list of questions that I've prepared ahead of time. My goal <laughs> is to allow people to reveal themselves via the stories they told. So you told this great story about your business and how it's handling a difficult situation with a client that's not a good fit, perhaps. But the I'll be honest, the story that I'm hearing is oh. Daryl cares enough about himself and his business and its reputation and its culture and its spirit and its drive and its attitudes that he's like, I'm not going to take this on. And yeah. that and right. Well, it does hurt because let's face <laughs> he it. Needs who, help. <laughs> yeah. Well, he needs help. And, and perhaps every business needs revenue to be able to do what it wants to do. But there are some forms of revenue that are not worth taking. And there are some people that are not worth dealing with and some energies that you shouldn't invite into your life. That revealed 100%. something about your business, but it actually revealed something that I like to say all the time. There is no difference between the, your business and you. Everything yes. you described about your business is based on Daryl Evans, the person I'm talking to. And I'm sorry, you come off very genuine to me. You, you come off very confident, but you come off genuine more than anything else and that's very important to me and sometimes i'm fooled let's face it the best salespeople often sell themselves the best but I, I don't get that from you because you understand so much of what a personal brand really is based on which is i can only be myself and again i'm i'm going to be my best self i'm not going to show you i'm not going to highlight my worst day or the the way i behave when i'm hungry because God knows my wife would have some things to say about that. <laughs> I'm instead going to look inside myself and discover the things that truly reflect who I am, what I do, and how I do it. And then I'm going to protect those things. I'm going to project those things in the marketplace. And they're going to become the foundation for my personal brand and, ideally, my business brand. So right there, you've, you've like if I were to uh, deconstruct some of what you said... You're not afraid of stuff like Google AdWords and, you know, analytics and stuff like that. It's probably not your number one wheelhouse, but that's OK, because I hire someone to work with me to be able to provide those services if I'm not the strongest at that. Great. All of a sudden, you're not a Swiss Army knife. You've got abilities that are a little bit more focused and you can bring in other focused individuals to work with you to provide those services. Am, am I capturing what that story was really about? Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit, but there's definitely a couple of distinctions. Well, go ahead and give me those distinctions. Do you have dogs? So, so couple, yeah, I do. I'm sorry about that. Hey, don't, don't worry about it. I've got two upstairs that I'm hoping don't see a squirrel. 
Okay. Yeah. And that's probably the Amazon bell that happened. So anyway, thank you for that. So the story, yeah, I mean, we have certainly part of the story was simply that I felt, I feel like there's a level of unprofessionalism in the marketplace that I hope we'll get, we'll have some way to clap that down and probably get some of the fakers out of the market. Because unfortunately this gentleman, great business, hundred Google reviews, five stars, great business model, great service provider in the local marketplace, unfortunately been through bad situations. So part of the energy is that I felt bad because he had that energy when he got to us and he, it, that energy prevented us from moving forward in the dialogue to your point, because we do have values. We do have criteria and it has nothing to do with how much money you can invest in ads. I, I have to work with great entrepreneurs who while have, while maybe things haven't gone well, they're willing to look past those mistakes and, and establish a new relationship. And, and he was in the telling mode more than the collaborative mode, which I know you're a big guy in collaboration. He wasn't interested in collaboration. He was interested in telling us what he wasn't going to do. He wasn't going to do this. He wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to sign a contract. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm sorry. I feel, I, and, and I'm very empathetic to all of it because I've been in this seat now for a decade, 11 years now. And I appreciate the comment about who I am as it relates to our business. And this is not just me, my business partner. We agree that it does us no good to try to build a long-term relationship with a client if we can't establish common ground at the beginning. We already know what we do works. We already know it's proven. It's not new. We aren't rookies at it. We've grown well over 300 million in revenue. And the only reason I had to stop at 300 is because the FTC says we can't claim it if we can't prove it. And that's about as far as I can prove. There are a couple of big companies, companies at the size of some that you've worked for that I can't mention. I feel like doing what you did in that article that I read. But you can look him up on LinkedIn. Just check out his resume. You, you can look up up on LinkedIn. They're in one of the industries. They, their name starts with a G. We'll try that one. But but yeah, so I mean, our team is built with a, a multi-talented layer of expertise. So when I'm meeting someone, I need to understand that as, as soon as they're going to work with our team at the level that they are going to engage, I am expert at a lot of stuff. I'm good at a lot of stuff, but they're not going to be working with me. They're going to be interfacing with my account management team, my project management team, the experts on the ad side, the experts on the copy side. And I'm not going to be involved because we're at the business level where I'm not involved in the, in the operational execution. I started my days there 20 years. I was in the operational execution. I probably was still doing some execution three to five years ago, but we're moving on to bigger growth in our business. So that's what I meant by that. So, but very important in this world today to, I think as a business owner, what, as, as I look at it, it's important for us to describe our ideal client and understand if we've got a qualification criteria for our ideal client and not just take every dollar that comes in. My dad taught me something long time ago. He said, all money ain't good money. And while he didn't necessarily know I was going to be an entrepreneur when he said that, he just said, all money ain't good money. And to the point of branding, which is the topic of, of, of your show, he also said, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. And that at that time, it was how we dressed, how we went to school, how we showed up for an interview. It had nothing to do with online marketing, but in, in truth, you pointed out that how someone arrives on your website is that first impression. And uh, so I appreciate what you said. Thank you so much for the compliment. It's it's not a compliment. Well, it is a compliment, but it's well earned oh, from what I can tell. Back. <laughs> and, and believe me, I, I love this type of conversation. And let me ask you this question about your background. Where did you or when did you or how did you decide that marketing and copywriting and stuff like that was for you? It's a great question. Early in my 20s, while I was in college, I started working in the world of real estate, got a real estate license, and I was taught the traditional thing they teach you as a real estate agent, cold call and door knock. Those are the two big things that they would teach you. 
And that was either for, for sale by owners back at the back in the early 90s. A lot of people would want to sell their house by themselves without a real estate agent. So they would tell us to cold call or door knock real estate agents, or sorry, homes that were for sale by owner or homes that had just expired on the multiple listing service. So I'll just keep it up, you know, as clear as I can. I hated cold calling. I did it. I was okay at it. I hated the idea of interrupting people and trying to convince them amongst the other 50 people that called that day that I was uniquely qualified to come do the sale for them. And so I worked my way through the process for a couple of years until I met a guy named Mark. Mark happened to be the number two real estate agent in Nevada. And I did an open house for him as a buyer's agent. You can go in and partner with some of these big agents if you're a younger agent. And I sat at his open house and I remember seeing these flyers that he would hand out or he would want us to hand out. And instead of it being the flyer with the picture of the house and a picture of the bedrooms and the, the details, the three bedroom, the two bath, the 1700 square feet with the two car garage, all the basic stuff, his flyers would say something like, would you like to know how to buy this house with no money down? Call 1-800 with an extension number, 1-800 with an extension 201 for a free recorded message. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Now, if we fast forward that to today, that was the early version of what I would call a landing page or an opt-in system. Because if you call 1-800, you would listen to a voicemail. He would get tracking that you landed on extension 201 about that specific house because he had 72 listings, 72 listings. So if 201, he knew 201 was relative to 1221 Cherry Street, he could tell where his activity was coming from. So he would know, A, where his buyers were hot, B, that they wanted to buy that house, and I'm making it up. I don't know if it was no money down back in those days, but it was basically his opt-in system. And I just became fascinated by the fact that that's what he did, and he didn't do what everybody else did. What he was doing, as you would probably recognize, DP, as well as some of your audience, is he was using a form of direct response copywriting, but he was also meeting them where they were. So rather than him cold calling and say, come to the open house, certainly he did advertising to get people to the open house. But once they're at the property, he was inviting them for a conversation on the next step, whether they took that step or not. And so that was the way he was generating leads. I was fascinated. I was hooked. Next thing you know, I'm with Dan Kennedy. I'm with some of the other great master copywriters out there. I come across Dean Jackson, early 2000. And I just realized, oh, there's a way to show up when people are already moving in the direction of solving their problem. And if we invite them to a conversation, it doesn't have to be face to face, but if we invite them into a dialogue because of something they're interested in, then it helps to now bring them closer to me and away from competitors. And now I have an opportunity to do the thing that we all say we believe in, which is build the no like and trust factor and maybe they choose me as their provider. That became my fascination. So it was over about a five or six year window, but I was hooked. I'm just like, there's no other reason to cold call or just do this fluffy, what I call advertising. And that just became a business model for me. And it was like, okay, so if I can get in a relationship with people, whether they buy today, six months from now, or 12 years from now, if I stay top of mind, which is kind of why I loved your prior show, that puts me in the driver's seat because I looked at the relationships as assets. So my mindset was always like, my database is an asset, but it's only an asset if I nurture it and invest it, right? 
So a lot of people are just trying to get to the bottom of the funnel with a Facebook ad or get to the bottom of the funnel with a Google ad. I'm not saying you can't do that. My agency does that. But there's so much more of the market. And it was a book called Blue Ocean Strategy, DP, that I read in 2004, which sent it just, it closed the gap on this whole thought process for me. When I read that book, recommended to me by my coach at the time, it was a wrap. I was like, I will never play in the red ocean as my only strategy ever again. I will always make sure I'm trying to play blue where there's no competition in my market. Quick story and I'll, I'll wrap up the analogy. Back at that time, I would talk to a potential home buyer and let's say their credit wasn't quite where it needed to be to qualify. Let's say they needed a 680 and they had a 640. Rather than just punt them down the street and ignore them, I would teach them exactly what it would take to get to the 680 because I understood the credit system. And I would then stay in touch. Now, maybe it was because they had a late payment and the mortgage rules were it's going to take 12 months before that payment falls off the credit system. I would stay in touch until the best story I tell about that is it was 33 months on with this one, the longest person or longest husband and wife that I worked with was 33 months before they actually came back and bought. And quite honestly, it was because they made a couple more mistakes and it just kept extending the time period. But I stayed in touch for 33 months and then they bought. But here's the punchline. They referred six people to me before they ever bought their house. That's the power of building an asset called relationship. Oh my God, you're preaching to the choir here because I love to, to describe it this way. You know, salespeople love trying to get you in that car and get it off that used car lot today. What, what'll put you in this car today? Well, the reality is that's good. That's one transaction and they'll be dissatisfied with the budding relationship you created and you'll never see them again. Well, good realtors and real estate agents understand that if you can create a relationship and get in good, it can be a multi-generational relationship. And let me tell you, my, I, I, I'm a, I'll be honest, again, gotta be authentically me. I've never liked realtors because I've had some bad ones. You know, it's been the people who show you one house and they want to get that $20,000 check at closing or whatever that big number check is. And right. that always grated my cheese, if you will. Well, my wife has an, an entirely different point of view because they have a family friend and then I meet this person and find out about them and understand that, oh, the family friend was actually the realtor who sold her mother and father their house like 20 years ago. She was a realtor first, who is now a family friend to the point that she came to our wedding. She was, you know, and we didn't have a huge wedding, but she was yeah. definitely one of the people who came. And awesome. that's when I realized, oh my gosh, my call it realtor agnosticism was trumped by the fact that she had a tight family relationship so much so that even if that realtor was maybe a little bit lazy on one of the transactions we did with her, it was like, that's okay. We love her. She's part of our family. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, that's the power of relationship. And the answer is yes. The other thing I want to point out is when you look at that story you told about the open house, let's just do some simple math on that. Let's say 50 people come through the open house. Every one of them gets a flyer. 10% of them, five respond to that, oh, I could get a house with no money down. Would you rather have five people who are curious about that than 45 that walk out and then potentially toss that flyer into the garbage? Right, right. That's the power, you know, and Seth Godin called it permission marketing. 
I give 100%. you permission to market to me. You know, another term that's used by a lot of professionals is the difference between push and pull. I push yes. stuff at you. That's bad marketing. That's old school advertising. I shove broadcast TV spots at you, hoping that you'll grab onto them. Instead, the modern philosophy is make it more pull oriented, where people want to pull your content. Content marketing is predicated on that idea that it's better to provide something of value that people will want to pull into their lives or their lifestyles or their relationships, whatever. And you gave a great example of that, which is I was given, 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 and I wasn't getting for 33 months, but I was getting because of six solid referrals, which again, over a lifetime relationship, that six could be a networking effect. How many people could be associated with that? If, if you did the analysis of how many connections were made after the fact, I think that number could be well over a hundred very, very quickly. Yeah. DP, I'm going to tell a quick story. Everybody who's listening to this in any industry that they're in, they should begin to think exponentially about the lifetime value of a customer. It doesn't matter what you sell. Think about it. If I worked back then with someone who was going to buy a house, how often would they buy a house? It's not going to be very often. The studies would say the average person might buy a house every seven years. So if I'm going to be a professional, here's how I did the math. This is exactly how I succeeded in that business. It wasn't because I was the best realtor or the lender or whatever. It was because I understood math. So if I met someone and the average person is going to buy a house every, every seven years, and if I planned at that time, I did plan on having a 30 year career in this industry, then that means I have four opportunities to do business with, right? Then I went to the mortgage lending side. When I went to the mortgage lending side, the number was up by two because of refinancing. So the same number of purchases, but then there'd be a couple of refinance opportunities. So I just did the math. If someone ever came to me in the mortgage industry at the mortgage, when I had the mortgage business, and they chose to, let's say, refinance their home with Bank of America, and I lost the transaction, maybe Bank of America's fees were lower, whatever the case, I treated them as if they did the loan with me anyway, and I treated them just like a client. I didn't get paid at that time, but I realized there are going to be four, five, six more transactions. And in any business, you can take the same approach. Going back to the idea that is in my agency, for example, I made the comment earlier about the mentality of a client that we want to have that we engage with. And that's because we're not a project-based company. We're a retainer-based company. And we have a lot of out upfront costs that we have to put into an engagement. So it can't benefit my business just to get to a break even three or four months in and have that client walk away. And the reality is we want to prove that we are worthy of being kept around. So we have an open-ended agreement. If you're ever unhappy for any odd reason, you can leave. We just have to be careful of the bad energy. But ultimately, the message is one of the best marketing tools you're ever going to have that you can build leverage with is to build relationships via your website, through your Instagrams, all the things. But really understand what a relationship is. Pushing posts to your earlier comment isn't a relationship. Dialogue is a relationship. Communication is a relationship. So here's a quick tip in email for those that do any email marketing. And there's a lot of talk these days with privacy and the iOS thing and all of this stuff. Instead of worrying about the open rate, which is where everybody's up in arms right now, why don't you worry more about the click-through rate, meaning to get them to come back and engage with something on your website. But even more importantly, start trying to get your audience to reply to you in an email. Start to develop a dialogue. And you'll be surprised. We've, we've been talking about this for years. I've been talking about this for years. That's where 
a true relationship is built. Someone can open an email, sure, but it's not a relationship. They can follow your social media, true, but it's not a relationship. I can't tell you how many people I'll see with a 80,000, 100,000 person following on social media, and they've got 5,000 people on an email list or less. I've got a 43, a company that's been around 43 years, and they had 20 something thousand customers, 2,000 emails. That's just not acceptable marketing. How can you possibly keep a relationship with 25,000 people with a 20 person sales team? You just don't have one. And so if you wonder why the business is struggling, it's because you haven't prioritized keeping a relationship with the people who already know, like, and trust you. And it's really, it doesn't matter if they've done business recently or not because of what you said earlier, that sphere of influence matters. So we try to make digital nothing new because people think it's this fancy stuff. It's not, it's the, everybody agrees. No, like, and trust matters, but we got to figure out how to do it with digital in a way that rewards us for our energy and effort. And at the end of the day, it's as cheap as anything to do it. It's more cheaper than we used to do it offline. Yeah. And, and with a whole lot more data associated with it to prove that it's working. You know, yeah. I, I, I love the fact that uh, you've spent a lot of time telling specific stories about how your company works and serves its clients. And we can uh, kind of extrapolate based on that to understand the, a little bit about the culture of your business and stuff like that. I want to talk about the Daryl Evans brand. What are you trying to do and demonstrate? I think you've done a number of things demonstrating that brand on this podcast today that are very impressive to me. One, data oriented, but not like a data geek. You, you still retain a sense of humanity. It's not just about numbers. It's this combination of human psychology and data down to the nanosecond which is a unique combination because I see a ton of people who are one or the other, but not both. I see someone who's very confident in their own skin, able to communicate exactly where you, where your value lies. And one of the big things confident enough to say, you know what? No, thank you. We, we appreciate the opportunity to bid on your business, but I don't think it's going to be a good fit. Do you know how many people have that confidence? And not that many. Again, I'm going to repeat my question. Daryl, what are you actively trying to communicate and demonstrate when you do things like be on a podcast or do a blog post or whatever social media activity you do? Yeah. So I think it's a couple things. It's pretty simple for me. I've been very blessed. I've worked my butt off the last 30 ish years. So I didn't think about being on other people's podcasts until my executive assistant made a comment last year. And my intention, I have nothing to sell, number one. Number two, I believe that there are things that I have learned that I know. And while information is abundant, it's readily available. It's available for free, whether it's on YouTube. I mean, you've got information everywhere. What I've learned is that it's good, but in a lot of cases incomplete. And what I want to do and what my, my brand is all about is uh, being able to communicate ideas, concepts, and strategies in a way that are actionable and easy for the average business owner to understand. And for me, in my personal brand, I just want someone to be better off after our interaction than they were before as related to our dialogue around the pain point that we were discussing for them. I have had enough ups and downs in my business life and my personal life. I do have my own podcast and the name of the show is Mind Shift. And that is my intention whenever I'm discussing things is to take something that someone has kind of got their mind stuck on about it being this way or that way 
where they can't see what I can see. They don't have the backstory, the purview, whatever that may be, the experience, and try to simplify that in a way that they see a ray of hope, even if it hadn't gone well in the past. They have some level of inspiration that what they want is still reachable. And so I try to be just a genuine communicator, and I appreciate you using that word earlier. We have a belief that everything we do has to be integrous. We're, we're not interested in cutting corners. We're not gonna tell you something just because you wanna hear it, which costs us business. I'm not gonna lie about that, but that is, I, I live with, I, I need to be able to sleep at night. So my brand is about those types of things, but ultimately there's one key, there's three words that hopefully if someone said something to me about Daryl's interaction, their interaction with Daryl, that man, that dude was a really positive thinker. And I just, there was just something about him and the way he spoke about that topic that made me get it. And that's my intention, that's my goal. And I'm not as much of a branding guy as, as you are. So I kind of chuckled when you asked me the question because I think my personal brand, if by some standards probably looks like a mess because I haven't put a lot of energy into <laughs> what that looks like online. I hate to take issue with you, my friend, but I think you, you've you demonstrated everything you just talked about. Now, the fact that you didn't have the, what I like to say, what's your key three, the three principles, concepts, and phrases, or even words that sum you up consistently. The fact that you don't have those, I'm not going to bust your oh, chops about that. Okay, oh, what are the... I can what, give you the Oh, what I'm are sorry. Those? I'm sorry. I didn't know that was the question. So positively impact lives is, is key standard number one. Okay. Constant and never ending improvement is key standard number two. And I call them key standards. These are non, non-negotiable. And the last one is shift your mind, shift your results. This, Bingo. That's have lit, this is the essence of who Daryl is. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't understand your question. If no, I no, that, if I that's okay. Because there are no secrets in advertising and marketing. The fact is, yes, I'm all about branding. And yes, I coined the phrase nonfiction branding to give my take on what branding should be about and make it clear and also allow people to ask, well, that implies that there's such a thing as fiction branding to it. The second they do that, <laughs> is. I now have a conversation for the next five hours with them because they recognize, oh yeah, the brands I don't like are fiction brands. The brands I do like are nonfiction brands, you know, and we can go through and, and, and do all that stuff. But the fact that you've, you've developed your key three right there, I call it the key three because I like to put a TM on everything. It's a kind of an inside joke with that only for myself. But the whole idea is there, if you have those three things, you now have a, a touchstone against which you can test any idea of what you want to share or what you should be putting out there into the world. The fact is... People don't know a whole lot about me, but they do know that my key three are creative, collaborative, and provocative. And just like you, that mind shift thing, that's what I discovered was so valuable or the most valuable thing I could offer my clients and the people I engage with. I provoke them in a kind way to think differently because I'm going to say this and your head's going to nod off your head, off your neck. People will tell you all day long what they want. But a good marketer will sit there, listen, 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 ask probing questions to discover what they need. And they are never the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. So true. I, so. I want to thank you so much for coming on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, Daryl. What a great conversation. 
Again, I would love for listeners to know where they can engage with you or follow you on social media. Where do you like to hang out in the social sphere? Uh, my favorite place right now is Instagram. And uh, so again, that's going to be at Mr. Daryl Evans. I just like the features over there. I am dibbling and dabbling a little bit in TikTok, but Instagram is kind of where I spend my, my time. I'm not, I don't use social media the way I use it for business in my personal life. So that's probably where you'll find me the best. Well, and one of the things I, re I really like that you're doing, you're reconciling your ad handles across multiple social media channels. A lot of people don't do that. And when I have people on my podcast, I always try to be promoting people. And I always want them to know that, hey, I promoted the, your episode on Twitter. So I try to look up their Twitter handle and I can't find them because their photo is of Pikachu and their handle is Pikachu Mama 35. And it, and it drives me nuts. Basic branding right. is about letting people know who you are, what your name is. So please, right. if you haven't reconciled your at handles, that'd be a good first step. So that's something you can take away from this podcast episode and start doing today. Reconcile yes. your ad handles. And by the way, if you have a common name, you can be photo John Smith or John Smith photographer or spell photo F-O-T-O -O or whatever. And then make sure your profile picture actually looks like you. Because I'll enter John Smith. I'll see John Smith. I'll look at the profile. Oh, that kind of looks like them. I can't really tell. It's small. And then I see John Smith photo. Oh, yeah, that's John, the, John Smith, the photographer. If exactly. you want to be obscure and join the Federal Witness Protection Program, keep doing what you're doing. Otherwise, reconcile your at tags, please. Amen. That's Amen. enough of a rant from me. Again, Daryl, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. My pleasure. I, of course, am your host, D.P. Knuton, and he is... Daryl Evans. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>